Good evening, Thrive. We are in a series on the book of Psalms. We're coming to the Psalms uh, for the next couple of weeks in order to learn how to pray. Now, why are we doing this? You know, a lot of you probably pray already. Uh, some of you have probably grown up praying. You know, why focus on something that we probably feel like we know how to do already? My simple answer to that question is that I actually don't really think we do know how to do it. <laughs> so, you know, I remember a number of years ago, I had a friend who I met in college who was a pretty recent believer. And, and I remember hearing her prayers, and there was something that was so raw and real and fresh about them. It was as though she was actually talking to a God that she really knew. And I just can't help but realize that in my own life, there's something that I think is lacking and that can be missing um, through what you might call a false familiarity. It's possible that you can be so familiar with something that you actually don't know it as well as you think you do. And I think this is the situation that many Christians face when it comes to prayer. And, and so what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks is turn to the, the, the Bible's inspired book on prayer, which is the Psalms, to learn a thing or two about prayer. And so last week, we looked at the idea of prayer as encounter out of Psalm 73, what we said was that, according to the Bible, prayer is not meant to merely be a ritual space, but a relational space. And that it's meant to be a space for experiencing awe and intimacy with God. Tonight, we're looking at another aspect of prayer. And that aspect is prayer as invitation. Prayer as invitation. The idea that prayer is actually God's way of inviting us to relate to him in, in a way that's pretty remarkable and pretty shocking. And so what I want to do is, is turn to Psalm 39, uh, which will put a finger on, on this idea of, of invitation. And I'm just going to simply start out this evening by reading from it. So here's Psalm 39. I said, I will guard my ways, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle, so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O oh Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O oh Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me, that I may smile again, before I depart and am no more. So, there's your psalm, Psalm 39. 
And I said that there's an invitation in this psalm, and I want to simply break that down by looking at the psalm under two headings. Number one, what it is, what is the invitation? And then number two, what it's based on. So number one, what is the invitation? Number two, what's the invitation based on? So first of all, uh, number one, what, what, what is it? <laughs> this psalm has a couple of episodes, you might say. The first episode is in the first three verses, and it's this vexing dilemma that David, the guy who wrote this, that he, the, he's going through. The dilemma is essentially to speak or not to speak. So look at these first three verses. What, what you see here is that David is telling us that he's got something that's troubling him. And it's troubling him so much that it's, it's, it's threatening to just explode out of him. But he evidently feels like it would be wrong if he said it. So, you know, despite his, 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 his best efforts, um, you know, despite trying to put a muzzle on his mouth, there, there's this just nagging sense of wanting to, to actually give vent to, to whatever it is that he's, he's wrestling with deep down. And what you find out is that evidently the pain of whatever he's got bottled up inside is so great that eventually he does explode and he spills his guts. And his guts, essentially, are the rest of this psalm. So now, if you look at the following verses, you find out what it is that's actually got David in such a tizzy. And you, and you begin to realize, now I see why, why he felt so reluctant to share this. Because when you read on, what you realize is that the thing that David is actually struggling with is God. Listen again to a couple of these verses in this sort of second episode, starting in verse 4, and you'll notice that David's words can sound an awful lot like complaining. So here's a couple of things he says. Uh, Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man for, with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Now, what's remarkable about this is that all of this, all of this that sounds like complaining, this is actually addressed to the Lord. And the question that David is asking here, essentially, is, God, why are you so harsh? Why are you so harsh? On the one hand, you know, David's acknowledging the weakness of human beings. I mean, in verses 4 through 6, he's reflecting on that. He's observing just how completely frail and fleeting and, and feckless our lives are. But then he looks on the other hand and he realizes that God's dealings with us, even if they're ultimately for our good, are just overwhelming sometimes. That, that, that they can squeeze creatures who are as frail and as, and as fleeting as we are to the utter breaking point, to the point where in verse 10, David is only able to just utter out that, I, I, God, I feel spent. I'm spent. It's very possible here that you could very well relate to what David is talking about because it doesn't take long to discover that following Jesus can squeeze you to the breaking point in this exact same way. The love of God is not cheap. God's love is tough love. He is so devoted to refining us that he will put us through the fire. No matter how much we protest, no matter how much it may hurt us, he is far more interested in seeing us brought to perfection in Jesus than seeing us protected for our own comfort. I'm going to read you this. Uh, this is a quote from a theologian. And I love this because this just puts a finger on what I think is ultimately the experience that every Christian is ultimately going to have one day if you are following Jesus with any degree of deliberateness. 
So here's what he says. Following Jesus hurts. And becoming his disciple means entering into endless insecurity. One of the most striking features of the Gospels is how they make no attempt to hide any of this. Anyone who reads the New Testament and who attempts to follow Jesus according to the pattern of life described there knows that when Jesus enters the comfortable living room of your life, he throws the furniture around. He leads you to places you don't want to go. He lays waste to the fortresses you construct to protect yourself against his love. That is the kind of love that ultimately a person is going to experience following Christ. A kind of love that is so ruthless in its desire to change us and transform us that it hurts. Which is why so often in the Bible, one of the phrases that's used is that the hand of the Lord was, was heavy upon me. I mean, it feels heavy when God is actually getting his, his fingers on your life. The Bible's word for this, by the way, for God's process of molding us into his image, is the word discipline. And it's very straightforward in saying that discipline is painful. It's what David has experienced here in this psalm. That's the, that's the pain out of which he's giving vent um, to, to, to the emotions uh, he has here so openly in this psalm. So that gives you a little bit of the context here of, of why it is that David is struggling so much. And this has enormous application. Because what emerges from David's prayers in Psalm 39 is what you might call an invitation to honesty and to intimacy with God. Pause here for a minute and just and think with me about what prayer actually is. If it really is true that prayer is a space for encountering God, then doesn't that also mean that God is encountering you. Therefore, prayer always has an element of inherent vulnerability. Because to pray, to speak to God honestly about your needs, about your worries, and about your fears, is to acknowledge to both God and even to you things in your life that might be deeply uncomfortable to actually admit. Just one example of something that is potentially one of the most uncomfortable things uh, to name to God is simply is simply what you're genuinely feeling, your your emotions. You know, so so for an example of this, think back to Adam and Eve. You know, remember Adam and Eve in the garden, and just if you put yourself in their shoes for a minute, imagine what it must have felt like for them the moment that they sinned. You know, just like have you ever thought about like what emotions they might have been feeling in that in that moment? You know, like just a sense of deep shame. You know. Um, a sense of deep sadness of just how much they'd screwed up, maybe, you know, how much they'd lost. Um, or, you know, here's another one, maybe just shock. You know, it's like, oh, oh my gosh, I'm naked. <laughs> well, there's actually another emotion here that uh, the text does tell us that they were feeling. And they, the emotion is fear. So if you go to Genesis 3, verses 9 and 10, you know, God asks Adam and Eve, he says, where are you? <laughs> and, and Adam replies, he says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. This is so interesting, this little connection here. On the one hand, Adam says, I was afraid. It's an emotion word. And so I hid. I was afraid, and I hid. Well, one of the impacts of the fall that you see in this story, you know, one of the ways that you see Adam and Eve and, and all of their children alienated from God is in this, that, 
that now their emotions no longer feel safe. Instead of coming to God and, and saying, you know, God, I, I want to tell you just how afraid I am today. Or, God, I, I just want to let you know how embarrassed I felt about what I did today. Instead of, of, of going to God with what they're feeling, Adam and Eve hide. They hide. They, they hide themselves by trying to cover themselves up with these fickle fig leaves so that they can try to, try to keep God from seeing them for who they really are so that they can actually keep themselves from seeing themselves as they really are. Sin always leads to self-denial. Humanity has never fully recovered from what happened in the garden on that day. And Christians are absolutely no exception to this. You know, just as proof, I want to read you really quick. Uh, just, this is an account from a pastor. You know, so this is like, you know, this is a professional Christian here. And, and what he's naming in this, I think, is a pretty common experience to everybody uh, of, of being unable to acknowledge his own emotions in a way that's healthy. Here's what he says. He says, I, I never really explored what I was feeling. I was not prepared to be honest about my emotions with God or myself. As a result, I often said one thing with my words, but my tone of voice, facial expressions, and body posture said another. I remember the awkwardness when I began to be honest about my feelings. Initially, I wondered if I was betraying God or leaving Christianity. I feared that if I opened Pandora's box, I would get lost in a black hole of unresolved emotions. I was breaking an unspoken commandment of my family and my church tradition. This is so interesting to me, because what this is saying is that the lesson of the book of Psalms is a lesson that, by and large, many of us in the church had utterly failed to learn. And of course it makes sense. You know, feelings are scary things. And, and, and I, I believe that, that one of the things that, that makes prayer so challenging is exactly this very point. If prayer truly is, is encountering God and Him encountering you, I mean, isn't it so easy to, to wonder to yourself, you know, man, is, is it really okay for me to be honest with God about this? Like, can I, can I really come to him and admit to him, even admit to myself, that, that this is actually how I'm feeling right now? You know, like, is it okay if I tell God that I, I don't feel like I know what I'm doing in my life right now? I feel like I'm... I feel like I'm lost. You know, I don't really feel like I know how to lead the people in my life around me. I don't feel like I have it put together. I don't feel like I have the answers. You know, it, how vulnerable that it is to actually admit those things to both to God and, and to yourself. And for this reason, I think this element of, of honesty and intimacy and vulnerability is one of the most difficult things about prayer. Exhibit A here, by the way, is David himself. Because now that you, you know, we've been able to glimpse what David's deeper struggle is in this psalm, you can imagine why at the beginning of the psalm he's so hesitant to actually pour out his heart to God. And the reason, I would think, is that when you look at the things that were in his heart, I mean, they were pretty darn close to blasphemy. I mean, he's saying at the, you know, the end of the psalm, he says, Lord, you know, just look away from me. I don't even want to be in your presence. I mean, how uncomfortable it must have been for David to admit those things, even just to himself, much less to God. But this is why the Psalms are just such an incredible book. 
because the Psalms are, are absolutely chock full of just about every kind of emotion that you can imagine, including the difficult ones. And what it invites us to is to take those emotions before the Lord. Let me just read you an example of, of just some of the crazy, unexpected feelings that are in the Psalms. You know, all, you know God's way of saying that, you know, you have permission to come to me with these things. So look at Psalm 10. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Or here's Psalm 13. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? Or here's Psalm 42. It just says, my soul is downcast within me. You know, in other words, I'm depressed. Here's Psalm 6. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. And then, of course, there's the final words of our psalm. You know, most psalms end with a resolution of some kind or another, some kind of evidence that the psalmist has actually worked through his doubts or his emotions and placed his trust in God once again. Not in this psalm. Along with Psalm 88, Psalm 39 is one of two psalms in the Psalter that end with no resolution. Let me just read you one more time these last two verses. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. For I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me, that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. I mean, talk about a raw statement, where, where David is essentially admitting that God's discipline feels so heavy on him that he literally asks God to turn his face away, to basically scram, to, to get out of his life. You know, it's sort of a way of expressing that he thinks God's presence is the problem rather than the solution. I mean, that's not even theologically correct. And yet, this is in the Bible. What that means is that the Psalms show us that prayer is, is, is a kind of invitation from God, that there is no emotion that we can experience that God does not want us to come to him with. He even invites us to take our doubts and our frustrations about him to him. And as one commentator puts it on this last line of this psalm, what this shows is God's profound sympathy and understanding with what it's like to be human. Uh, this, this is a commentator who says this, that the very presence of such prayers in scripture is a witness to his understanding. He knows how men speak when they are desperate. The Psalms, I think, are a little bit of a reversal of what happened in the garden on that day. Because they show that it's okay to be raw and vulnerable and honest about your feelings. And in fact, the Psalms would even encourage it. And the reason for this is that if you don't actually do what the Psalms are telling you to do, if you don't actually take your feelings to God, if you're not able to be honest with him, about the true state of your heart, then what that means is that you're wearing a mask. You know, I mean, just imagine for a minute. You know, you're, imagine you're, you're talking to someone, and they, they've got a, a mask completely covering their face. You know, just sidebar, I actually know that a lot of us probably can't imagine that right now because it's the coronavirus. But I'm actually thinking less of, of like one of these kinds of masks, and I'm thinking like, you know, something that would cover your, the, the entirety of your face. You can't even see any of your, you know, your real countenance. And, you know, imagine that, that, that you're not the person with the mask on, and imagine someone's trying to talk to you, 
as long as you've got that mask on, you're not really letting the other person address you fully. You're trying to deflect them. You're trying to avoid them. You're not actually letting them speak to the real you. And with God, this means spiritual starvation. Because God is a God who speaks. He is constantly trying to communicate to us his grace and his majesty. And he wants us to know those things. He wants us to experience him. But if we have a mask on, if we're not letting him into who we really are, and we're not actually able to be honest about, about, about our lives, then we're not allowing him to fully communicate to us. We're deflecting him. We're, t- we're, we're pushing him out. What the Psalms are inviting here is to give up control, to take off the mask, and to, and to be honest so that God might speak to us and to all of us. That's the invitation in the Psalms. And by the way, I just want to say that this is completely countercultural. You know, to borrow a line from Tim Keller, religion would tell you to stuff your feelings. Because, you know, don't you know that good Christians, they, you know, good Christians don't get mad, they don't get discouraged, they don't get frustrated. On the other hand, the, the culture would tell you to worship your feelings. Because it would say that you are what you feel. And, and this, by the way, is the number one thing that the culture tells you, the, the number one thing the culture tells you to do with your feelings, therefore, is to vent them. You know, don't let anyone ever question what you're feeling, and certainly don't let anyone challenge what you're feeling. Just, just let it all out. Just vent it. That's not what the Psalms are saying. You know, it's in passing actually important to realize that that's not even what David is doing in this Psalm. And if you look at a couple of these verses in more detail, like verses 4, verse 7, uh, you know, David admits that he is not just venting. He actually is, is wanting God to teach him, to speak into his emotional turmoil. He's not just venting his emotions, but he's actually submitting them to God in the posture of a humble learner. As if you were to sum all this up, what the Psalms are saying is not to stuff your feelings and not to worship your feelings, but to pray your feelings, to take your feelings to God, to bring them into the light of his truth, and to let him sort through all of it. That is countercultural, and that's the invitation of this psalm. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you do that? How, how do you do this? You know, honesty, vulnerability, intimacy with God, all of that's a great invitation, of course, but it can be really, really, really hard to get there. In fact, I, I, I just want to name the fact that it can take years and years to get there. I know I'm not there. <laughs> but, but just as we wrap up here, I, I, I want to close by taking a look at not just what the invitation is, but actually what its basis is. Our culture would say that the reason that you can be honest with your emotions is because you have the right to do so. You know, since you are what you feel, no one has the right to challenge or suppress what you feel, whether that's about your political views or about your gender identity. But David knows he is dealing with the living God. And that's a God before whom there was no automatic right for his prayers to be heard. And he also knew that God can't be approached lightly. I mean, David was there when an Israelite named Uzzah reached out his hand and touched the ark and was instantly struck dead by God. I mean, David knew the holiness of God. He knew that nothing impure could even approach him. And so the question is, what is it that therefore made David finally feel comfortable to approach a holy God with all of the mess (laughs) 
of his life, you know, to approach God in this kind of incredible intimacy and honesty. I believe the answer to this is that David knew the God whom he was addressing. He knew the God whom he was addressing. When you look through the other Psalms, I mean, you see that David is writing to God as someone he knows as his shepherd, as his guide, as his protector, as his friend. But there, there have been surveys taken where people have been asked, you know, I believe it's both Christians and non-Christians, what their perception of God is like. And you know what the overwhelming result of those surveys are? Most people say that they imagine a God who is angry. And I'm not trying to downplay the wrath of God, which is a very real part of, of who God is. But David knew that God was a God whose heart was for him. And that God was a God whose heart was one of, of, of access and intimacy and, and drawing near to him in love and in fellowship. I want to ask you, is that what it feels like to you when you think of God? Do you imagine God who's, who's constantly out trying to keep a record of wrongs of all the things that you screw up on? Or do you imagine a God who loves you, who actually wants to spend time with you more than you even want to spend time with him, and who is beckoning you to come to him for that? It's been said that all of our problems come from wrong ideas about God. And oh my goodness, is this true in prayer? If your idea of God is, is, is backwards, not, not necessarily the same picture of God revealed in the scriptures, then, then there are few things that can be more withering to your prayer life. But if you know God as he's revealed to be in the Bible, and particularly through uh, how he's revealed through Jesus, then, oh my goodness, th there'll be nothing more than you'll want to do but to draw near to the God who loves you with so great a love. Jesus is, is the ultimate basis for the invitation in Psalm 39. Because Jesus was the perfect model of prayer. Jesus literally died praying. And on the cross, one of his final prayers was, was my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did, did you notice here that, that Jesus is not saying, why did God forsake me? He's not talking about God. He's talking to God. He's doing the very thing that David is doing in this psalm, where he literally is taking his own anguish and, and bringing it before the Father. Jesus was the perfect model of prayer. But he also is the one who gives us access in prayer, because on the cross, as he took upon himself all of our sin, all of the punishment that we deserved, he made a way for sinful, messy, messed up human beings to be brought into God's presence to know the kind of access and intimacy that this psalm speaks of. The very last line of this psalm, David prays that God would turn his face away from him. The reason that we can draw near to God, the reason that we never have to fear God turning his face away from us, is because the Father turned his face away from Jesus. And it's because of him, that basis, is the basis on which we can come before the Lord with anything that we are thinking, feeling, struggling with. And that is the, the invitation that the book of Psalms would have to every single believer. So as we close and move to small groups, um, I want to um, pray for us.
And then in small groups, um, just really encourage you to go deep um, and, and to honestly think about, uh, man, you know, what is it like for me um, when I pray? And do I actually know this kind of on- honesty and intimacy before God, like Psalm 39 talks about? Let's pray. Lord God, just thank you for the incredible access that you are inviting us to. God, would you help us to see that you really do mean it, that we really can come to you. And Father, would you help us um, to do that now and to have prayer lives that are, are infinitely richer because we've taken off the mask. Um, we've come to relate to you with our full selves um, and no longer have to fear of coming into your presence because we know that in Jesus you are for us. Pray this in his name.